This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Just for our listeners here, Jake, you were a little late to this recording session. Uh, what jogged your memory? Um, I was sitting on the couch next to my wife when I got a notice from her that uh, there was a search party for me. Uh, apparently, I was a missing person. <laughs> no, you didn't notice when you were disconnected from the NATO Discord. No, because I was not in front of my computer. <laughs> of course, he was connected to voice chat while deafened and muted. How would I notice it? I was like uh, Helen Keller there. Well, it's like the quantum observation. You don't know if you're connected or not uh, unless you observe your connection status. Why well, don't anyways. we observe the topic that we're, we're going to discuss today? You know, you know what would have solved this problem, Jake? What's, what's that, Kevin? If this podcast, if we had assigned out-of-character roles to the podcast members, like if one of us was in charge of rounding everyone up to play... To record and if one of us was in charge of like taking notes and making sure the recording was done properly and one of us was in charge of uh posting the recording later if we did that you know that might help like it's i just, get i get you're doing a bit for the sake of the thing but that's actually like how a lot of the labor is divided behind the scenes <laughs> yeah, I know. like i'm just trying to get us to the next step all right yeah so um there uh, i've been working on uh like a D 5e sort of um an island that I had randomly generated for um, an expedition game that I'm hoping to run at some point in the future. And um, I wanted there to be like out of character roles for the players, not their characters for the players themselves to help make the management of the island uh, a lot easier. Uh, some roles sort of like expedition leader, uh, cartographer and quartermaster, you know, sort of things that, um, help to make things easier to keep track of like like dividing up things that the gm would have to keep track of themselves but delegating roles and responsibilities to players so on the record i want to say i love the idea i have some great thoughts but i do want to kind of poke at it and make sure we can make it a strong idea why i mean if if this is a job the player is supposed to do like keep track of the loot they find or um you know keep the map accurate or make decisions whatever they whatever we end up as roles if it's their job, why why do we have to create a framework for them to do it? Shouldn't they do it because they want to survive? That's like basic psychology, I guess. Someone's more likely to be told. It's like um, when when you, you you've done CPR classes before. I know you're like in the Red Cross and stuff too, right? Yeah, when, and I was when, in EMT for a while. When when you see someone having a medical emergency, you start doing CPR. You have to. You're told to specifically point to one person and say. You call 911, you go get me an AED while you sit there and you do like chest compressions, you know? Yeah, like, because or else when, no one will do people it. People are specifically told to do something. There's no confusion about whose job it is to do a thing, right? Yeah, and studies have shown that if everyone just assumes someone else is doing those things and it won't happen. So, valid. Yeah. So, uh, you're thinking about a role. So, what do you think about it? Like a role to map the island? 
Like keep, then is it a well, separate like, world uh, where you keep track it, of loot? It's a hex tile. It's a hex tile exploration game. So I was thinking, you know, it, keep track of like monuments or landmarks that they come across on the island. Uh, could be a role uh, keeping track of any enemies that you killed, so that I can reward experience accurately. How and, do you know they're not trying to game the system and you know putting a couple more kobolds on the sheet? I mean, because I'd like to trust the people at my table, I guess, and that'd be real petty. But <laughs> wow, I mean, you should trust your players. That's a different different conversation for a different time, perhaps. Well, I think like you as a GM could keep track of the XP. But you can make them keep track, keep track of all the loot. And you're probably going to remember if they're like, oh, but I love my plus five bastard sword. You'd be like, yeah, I've never given you anything like that. Where, how do you find that? It's a lot harder to make up loot than it is to add a couple, like, you know, 10 more XP to get over the level line or whatever. But, you know, either way is valid. Um, I actually got this idea from another game called... Uh... You got it from me. You just forgot. No, no, no. Uh, before you even told me about this, I got it from a game called Band of Blades. It's, when was uh, Bandit Base published? Uh, I want to say like January of 2019. We talked we, we talked about this before that. It's fine. So? It's fine. Well, I, I, I personally, I don't want to attribute anything to you. No, I'm just kidding, bud. So um, if I was on your wow. island, if I was on your island because I've just annoyed you mildly, would you throw me off? Would you build I, a wall of trash around me? <laughs> I, I <laughs> kind of <laughs> dig a big pit and bury you. <laughs> I, th- I think the wall of trash is this podcast. No, it's not true because he could leave anytime he wanted to. <laughs> Just like Peggy the pig. But <laughs> yes. So, all right. So you got you have some ideas for roles. Uh, we know why you want to use them. Um, is there? An, are, are you incent- thinking about incentivizing the roles? Like, is someone who does this going to do like? Because I've used these for in the past. Usually, like if somebody takes notes, they get an extra five duty or xp or what you know whatever the thing is extra 10 gold who knows uh, are you incentivizing them for doing for doing this or is it just they have to i mean uh you could go either way if you think that players are more likely to do the thing because you're rewarding them then like you could give them some sort of a reward i guess i wasn't planning on doing that though i just um offering in-game benefits for out of character actions is I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. So I, I really like it. I've used this a lot in the Star Wars system. Um, and I I could use it. If I was running a longer... If all my Delta Green games weren't one-shots, I would do it in Delta Green. But because they're one-shots, I don't care. Um, but in Star Wars, you accrue like duty, which is like a positive... When you accrue duty through your actions, you know, valorous actions or heroic actions or whatever, whatever, whatever however you accrue duty... We don't need to get into it. You can spend that duty on like better ships or base upgrades or allies or whatever. So having more is nice, but it's not it's not like an extra five duty. Like you might earn fifteen duty for the mission, the whole mission, and extra five is just not as blessing on the cake. So I would give I always had two roles, basically a note taker to keep track of what the hell's going on, and a squad leader, because I always felt that not because someone needs to like give orders. It's not fun in a role playing game unless you're playing a really specific kind of game. But just like after the, everyone has said what they want to do, and before they get back to re-arbitrating the first point, that person says, okay, we're doing this. And that's, yeah, that's I, what happens. I remember we were discussing this in text chat over at Night at the Opera, and this was a kind of contentious point for people. I proposed uh, an out-of-character role called Expedition Leader uh, to help make a decision when the group is stuck on a choice. Yeah, I think it's 100% required, personally. You need it. 
because uh, that's something I know that you've complained about in the past, Max, when people struggle to make a decision whenever there's like analysis paralysis and people will talk about a thing and they'll decide, you know, one path is over the other, but then someone will just bomb it by going back to square one. Yeah, specifically what will happen is I'll say, uh, okay, so what are we doing? And then the players will, rather than like concisely summarize, they tr- they take that as a, uh, a cue for another discussion or they'll try to concisely summarize but then one other person will be like no that's not at all what we agreed on and then the discussion starts up again so i think like in moments like that you know it'd be okay for a person who has taken on the role of expedition leader or squad leader or, uh whatever you want to call it uh to make a decision and go for it and we've so we all run games where like you know what the next step is, and they're going to take the players are going to take five steps to get there. And as soon as, as soon as they say like for example they're trying to get into the the building, they're like oh we park across the street. Okay, you do that. Okay, we get out of our car and we look through the bushes. Okay, you do that. All right, we run across the road. Okay, you do like you just you know you know what you know when the next important thing happens like when they cry, when they get to the other side of the street, then you know they get ambushed or whatever. So you don't really care about getting to. The actions to get there. So if you've given someone that squad leader role, when you say, all right, what do you do? They say, okay, we're going to go across the street and do this. Okay, it's done. You're there. What's next? Rather than if you just do that for randomly, randomly to different people, then they could say, I I didn't get a chance to say what we're doing. Well, he says what you're doing for this rap, for this adventure day. You vote someone else next time. Right. Yeah. That's, that's another caveat I thought about uh, with this was, you don't want the same person to be the expedition leader. Yeah, I would say you have to force that to rotate. Like the uh, note taker can be whoever the same person because some people just hate taking notes, but the squad leader like has to rotate. You can't do it twice in a row. And uh, there was a question I had for you guys: is you know that when I thought of these ideas, it was for uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Are there any specifically that would work for Delta Green? Something that. Uh, I guess it in- to encourage uh, sort of player behavior that you want to see by giving out character roles. Uh, does this apply to Delta Green at all? I can think of two. And if I was running a game for the four of you, I know I would make Will the the rule look looker upper. So okay. if, yeah. if, if there's an issue, if there's a question and you don't want to hold things up, that person takes the books, figures it out. It's okay. I figured it out. Here's the ruling. And then a, a rules lawyer or yeah. a rules counselor. Yeah, not to argue, but just like someone who has the books. If you're playing online, it may not be everybody. Someone who can listen to the game, but still look it up, and who, and also someone who knows the rules pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, over on the server. Whenever Top Hat's listening into a game, I like to get him to look up stuff. Whenever there's like those those niche details for rules, and he does it. I mean, he likes doing that. So there's definitely like that. There's a certain type of RPG player that enjoys uh, rules minutia. You know. And then one that I've thought about using, but again, I, with one shots, I never really bothered. But I think I would if I had a longer game. I like to use because Delta Green exists in you know the real world with you know big air quotes around it. I like to use real things, real places, and real people and real things. So sometimes you can like if you Google Maps a location, you might realize that there's a big you know, two story parking garage next door. That'd be a great place to do surveillance. And if you find that, that's a really cool moment. But I may not have known that's there, and it may throw throw me off. So I, I kind of feel like I would have one person as like the like the the Google Foo investigator. And they would look up, they would they would find any real world connections, and then kind of vet them through me. 
Okay, can I say that there's a parking garage next door? It's there. Oh yeah, great. Bring it up. Or hey, actually that doesn't exist. Or you know that book. Uh, you know you've Googled you know a name that I stole from Hellboy without realizing I stole it from Hellboy. Uh, that's I mean, not what totally, it really is. You totally did though, and I think yeah. both me and Max pointed this out to you. Yeah, you're right. But like I didn't realize that was a connection. So like the uh, the Nemrat Jihad Quran. Anything like with the jihad behind it, you know, is from Hellboy. Oh right, yeah, the seven who are one, the dragon that keeps in its prison at the heart of the world. So having someone as like a like a Google investigator might be if you build your uh, scenario, have some Google, realism in it. Google a GRO Google reconnaissance officer. <laughs> GRO Delta. <laughs> but definitely squad leader or lead or lead investigator. I mean, think about Eldritch Horror, the board. Uh, call it the uh, the ASAC, the uh, the assistant special agent in charge. Yeah. And notes and, and I, I feel like you're always going to find someone who will be like, oh, I'll do squad leader today. But you may have to force, you may have to twist someone's arm to take notes. And that's why I think you need to offer an incentive. So like for Delta Green, I would probably do like an additional home scene or just a straight extra sand recovery role of some kind. Not huge, but something. Or, uh, alternately, uh, I think people want like an extra point of a natural. Like that's another thing because everyone knows the way you yeah. win Delta Green is by getting the highest natural score. You win the metagame. Yeah. I said something spooky. Roll a natural. I, I know what it is and how to kill it. Well, you don't. Any other mm-hmm. roles people thought about? I know I mentioned cartographer, and you you mentioned it. It came up. Are they d- different than the note taker? Uh, you know, there, there's like a you could call it a scribe. They basically do essentially the same thing, I guess. I know in like in a in a true West Marches game, as a as a G, DM, I have a map, but you guys don't. So you guys have to make your map, and so you're gonna know that you go from the town. You go west down the river till you get to the, you know, the rock that looks like a tea kettle, and from there you, you go north to get to the dungeon, and you go west. To, you know, so it's, it's important that somebody maps that accurately. And if they make a mistake, well, I, I told you what you did, but you mapped it wrong. So there, our cartographer is really important. Kevin, I, I like the is- idea about that, but I would be worried that, that would degrade into, well, how many miles exactly is it to the camp? You know. Will is exactly it. correct. Like, this is something that sounds like fun, hypothetically, but in practice is torture. And it's uh, you can, not you can worth... certainly do it like on a, on a hex or a grid basis and, and get rid of a lot of the, the finagling about exactly how many yeah. miles and what angles. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's still... meant to be abstracted, I think. Yeah, but that, that's still kind of... My concern would be that would bog things down. Oh, yes. I, mean, it has to I bet there's view. a way to do it quickly. Uh, I just don't know what that way is. The way to do it quickly is to uh, not necessarily quickly for the like in terms of how much time it takes you, the GM, but in terms of avoiding just the constant grind of no, I thought it was to the northwest. No, I said northeast. Well, you should have said northeast. I did fucking say northeast, and doing that for an hour east? is. I thought you meant west. That's west, Patrick. <laughs> I, I've I've done that like three or four times when I've been running Esoteric Enterprises, and not once have the players got it because the new generation is too young to have seen SpongeBob. God. Now, uh, when you have a desire to make the players do their own maps, what you would should do is you can like draw the room that they're in, or like the hex that they're in, or whatever, and then take that away from them when they leave it. So it's their responsibility to like incorporate that into the broader dungeon map. But them having to 
draw the entire room just from your descriptions is horseshit because it takes forever. You're going to have to remind them five or six times. And it's very difficult to describe anything that's not a square in these terms. Right. Like to describe like the angle that a line takes, which is something that is very easy to see in real life and would the characters would instantly know, but can take a fucking half hour to get them to understand by describing it with words. I so, actually can, just as you were talking about that, I can actually think of a way to kind of do a map maker kind of thing in a way that's not complete torture, which is kind of in between um, drawing a map for description and not having to draw a map at all, which is that if you're using a utility like Real 20, where you can have maps with fog of war and stuff like that, and you have the patience to set them up, which I do because I'm weird. Uh, you do that, but you don't include like descriptions of the rooms. You just have the rooms and maybe some very simple features. And then the cartographer's job is then to populate those rooms with short descriptions so they can remember what's where. And so on, on record, I I probably wouldn't make them draw a dungeon from description because that does sound like horrifying torture. But like yeah. world map, and you have you have a bunch of rules like with the, with the West Marches game, it's hexes. Everything is in either cardinal or semi-cardinal directions. So it's oh. like so it's like from the town. If you go west, you know five hexes. You've explored that. You know that at, at five hexes, you find like the enchanted forest. What if all they have is a map of just the bare wilderness with grid coordinates, and you say, okay, in grid coordinate, you yeah. know five by that's seven, the, you find right. ancient ruins. Like that's the way it was set up on uh, West Marches. They were like in a yeah. at the tavern in this you know secure area town. There is an ancient map that was carved into a table. A lot of the features have been stripped bare, but you might be able to see that at one point in time this hex had something interesting there because it's got something carved into the table. So you could head that way and figure out what that mystery mark is. What's fun about that sometimes is if players are rushing because or trying to get back to the town by the end of the day or they're running from something and like if you're taking your time exploring you can make a pretty easy map but if you're like getting chased and you're running pell-mell through through the wilderness then like making that survival check might mean you remember where it is or might mean you only know that it's in one of these six x's now you've got to go back out and search for it and that can make the difference between like getting out there the next day or, or the next two days which is you know part of the game but uh I don't know. Cartography isn't especially important in Delta Green a lot of the time. I guess, you know, in certain scenarios it could, could be. be. But uh, I'm going to make an analogy for you guys here. Western Marches okay. is to cartography and island mapping as Delta Green is to conspiracy and mystery mapping, right? Yeah, like the, the conspiracy board. Part, or yeah, the murder board. Have someone to maintain, you know, cork board with string and all that. Which is good because, I mean... A lot of the times it's hard to get people to remember, you know, faces and names. But if you use handouts and say, you know, this is a picture I got from this person doesn't exist.com and you have their name on it. You tell them, all right, you're, you guys are in charge of maintaining the murder board. I'm not going to do it for you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And something I'd like to do, uh, Will, kind of remind, what was that game that you played that I didn't like as much? We, one of the things, it was an isometric stealth game, but one of the things you could do is uncover mysteries with a murder board. Oh, Phantom Doctrine. Yeah, Phantom Doctrine. Um, is let the players control the murder board, but but have some, like, they can put whatever clues they want up there, but if they find something, like, solid, and I write the clue down, then it's, it's a, you know, different color, sticky or whatever, then it's like, this is something that exists on the board in a specific place. You know, you don't know where yet, but, like, this is a clue, rather than just as, like, just a, a guess you've made or a supposition you, you're, you're making or whatever. And that can be kind of fun. 
I'd like to do that in person, maybe at Gen Con 2025 after COVID-19. After COVID-20, 21. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. Because it'll mutate before then. Um, I know, uh, Max, you guys were playing Esoteric Enterprises, and Tom had a really good suggestion uh, concerning initiative tracking. I mostly just suggested a couple of roles for Esoteric Enterprises based on the things that were making Max really just hate the game and not want to run it for people anymore. Yeah. And one of those was the pain in the ass that was trying to corral people into declaring an action in combat. Yeah, so one of the problems that any game with group initiative is going to have is that if all the players go on a certain initiative count, what's going to happen is that you, the person running the game, are going to say, all right, did everyone go? Okay, cool. And then you start to describe the NPC's action, and then one guy says, wait, you skipped me. And like I didn't, I didn't skip you. I I asked if you had gone yet, and you didn't do anything. And uh, then, then you then you say, okay, you know, fair enough, your turn. What do you do? And they say, okay, what's happening around me? Oh God! <laughs> and so Tom's suggestion to break this logjam is, well, I think I think one suggestion that he had was just to like use a regular ass initiative system by just having everyone roll instead of using group initiative, because then you uh, have people know exactly when they're supposed to go so they've, they're actually thinking about what their next action is going to be hopefully but the other solution was to have a player whose job it was to ensure that everyone on the team was on the ball or at least to remind them to take their turn and this is hopefully without just quarterbacking the whole time which is the term in board games for someone who tells other people what to do mercilessly in cooperative games yeah but we had more that a lot in like pandemic and uh elder tour it's one of the reasons why cooperative games are difficult unless you have some element of hidden information. My thinking was just, I, I'm a little, I was a little facetious when I said it made you hate the game, but at the same time, even just listening in Tom, and not Tom, playing. Tom, I literally wrote in one of the posts that it was bad enough that I did not want to run the game anymore. So you don't need to, you don't need to walk back the hyperbole because it's my own words. All right, fair enough. My thinking was just that it seemed like specifically you were hating it because there was a lot of responsibility falling on your shoulders and no one else was kind of meeting you halfway. That I mean, there was a there was not a lot of responsibility on the player's side to make it fun. So it was I kinda... have I, I disagree with that because I think that the players do actually have a lot of work to do in that game. Remembering just, even just something like remembering the loot calculations and remembering all of the factions in the game world. Remember, and especially remembering where the hell they're going and where they are, that's not zero work. That is something that takes a significant effort, and that's probably why they don't always do it, because it's work. And that's probably, because it's work, is probably why we're saying division of labor. You know, something you could do uh, is, I, I've kind of seen it done with, with games where there's a lot of minis on the board. You have one person designated as like the, the person who moves the minis around. So you might say like, all right, I'm going to move, you know, I'm going to go up the stairs and like take a position on the right. But there's only one person who like manipulates the board, but you could have somebody in a similar role that, that basically has like a, your next and like your second next, like on deck and then on deck plus one and tokens kind of like a, you know, like a current player token. They move those, like they hand that to someone. And if you hand me something, then like I have to put my phone down and like take it from you. And at that point, like you have no excuse not to be ready. Cause all right, I'm next. I've been given this thing, and when I'm done, I gotta make sure that you know Will gets it back, so you can give it to the next person. I've seen a couple of uh, like initiative tracking things. Like uh, you can use 
um, clothespins on the GM screen and like that, yeah. someone, but like if, if you're wanting to get the players involved, like they need to pick up and move their own clothespin so they realize, you know, they're back at the bottom or whatever. Like I, I thought about somebody have, have, have asked me before, like what's the biggest game you could GM? And like, I, I like four or five player games, but I mean, I could do a bigger game. It would just become, I would need to lean on more of these tricks to manage things, especially combat where there isn't or it, combat in a system where it's group initiative or popcorn or, you know, just slots that you take. Do you guys have any more ideas for Delta green specific, uh, out of character player roles? And none of Delta green. I'm just trying to think about other games that may have come up just to give people an idea, but I think I've covered all the ones I would use. You can maybe do something with like, like interrogator. Um, we've talked about interrogations before. Um, and who knows if it's, I don't know if it's aired yet. So if you hear me talking about this, then it's aired. And if you don't hear me, then that doesn't matter. Um, but it, it, you don't want to have five people asking the, the prisoner questions. So you make one person the interrogator and they can talk to the other players to get feedback, but they're the only ones who ask questions directly to the, to the person they're interrogating. That might be something you could do, but that is less less of like a party role out of character. And that's more of just like an in-character designation to make your life easier. So it's not really the same. It's uh, man, it's similar enough. It's uh, one of those things where it might be better um, if the out of character player role and the in character role are similar. Like, you know, the interviewer is also the one who talks with the rest of the team, but their agent is the one in the interview room. And that's a, a kind of a natural extension of the idea where I got this from initially, the Band of Blades game, because that, that game has um, high-level play and low-level play, and the high-level play are the people that, that run the army, and there are, like, three roles in it. Um, i trying to remember what they are. Oh, uh, there's the commander, who's the one that picks missions. There's the marshal, who's the one that picks who goes on the missions. And there's the quartermaster, who uh, does supply. He manages the supply of the army. Jake, how have you played this this game? Did you just no, say? No, I, I okay. wanted to play it. I've tried. I, I just don't have the time, and also I can't convince any of my like local friends to play anything besides Fifth Edition D anD. Because I remember a um, post on Indie Game Club, which is a, a blog that um, reviews different games. And the reason why it's an interesting blog is that. Um, he continues to review the games even after he decides that he kind of doesn't like them. He'll keep playing them to see what he learns, which uh-huh. I guess is similar to us with Delta Green. But he had a very long review of um, Band of Blades, and his eventual, I think, conclusion was that um, the you have you have the you have like the 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 meta roles like you know manager and quartermaster and stuff. And that most of them he felt were not particularly um, interesting, or there were several that he pr- he felt were not even really that necessary. Although one of the interesting things was that one of the frequent criticisms is levied against uh, both that game and even to a certain extent um, uh, Blades in the Dark is that there's not always like this opportunity for like free form just being a character because the game is designed to constantly be engaging you in these like okay make make the role do this negotiate position negotiate effect etc not do it again now pass the other guy who's going to do it again and then the downtime is all very um mechanically rigid 
like you're doing right. these progression trees and stuff. So we felt that um, the lore master role, which is mechanically the absolute most irrelevant one, was actually the most engaging one for the character, for the players, because that character got to do like like to be a character instead of just moving numbers around. That's actually the. That's not the uh, that's not one of the ones that's like necessary and vital. Uh, like the game says, you have to fill the commander, the marshal, and the quartermaster roles, and then the lore keeper is like the optional one, or like if you have a fourth person. So I think it's really funny that you know that's the one people had the most fun because it's also the one that you might not even get a chance to play because that's the one that like uh, tells the stories of the dead, right? That issue sounds kind of like what we ran into with the playtested middle part of Iconoclast, which is a lot of mechanical manipulation of like getting clues and doing things, but there's a lot less, because there's so many mechanics to interact with, there is a lot less like interpersonal stuff, kind of a, potentially a similar uh, concern. And obviously it was a, we, we did a playtest version, so the final version may vary. Wait, that's funny. When we, when we did that, we split up the player roles, like the out-of-character player roles there too, because I remember that there was one of us that kept track of the relationships we had with the different NPC yeah. factions. And there was someone that kept track of bonuses to roles and stuff like that. So uh, maybe there is something to this, you know, dividing the labor. I had a whole thing when we did that play test where I was going to try and run some humans on our own guys and just never came up. Wait, you were going to look into Delta Green with your human? There was, there was some U.S. intelligence guy who had some kind of like a gambling thing and he wasn't cooperating with us. So maybe I was oh, the one who was yeah. keeping track of our relationships. Yeah. And like keeping track of who the NPC factions, like their leaders were and like potential exploits. Yeah. But like it ended up not mattering that much. So one one thing I, I will say is if you're going to use as out of character roles, like really set the expectation ahead of time because where you can go wrong is like... One thing I like to see, especially if you're playing an online game, everybody's got like Google Drive open and everybody can type. Everybody kind of needs to take some notes, and but it's up to the note taker to formulate them. But you may be, you know, they may be in a scene talking to someone, and you may hear someone's name or an address. So everybody's got a little bit of responsibility to like get some of the details right and also review the notes and like that's actually what happened. Uh, you know, obviously the the squad leader. You know, it's not a fun game to be bossed around by this person. So you need to make sure that everybody kind of understands what their role is and they don't get, you know, too big for their britches. You know, things like that. Like, just set the expectations early and make sure everybody's on board. Uh, and I think you'd have a really good, uh, I think it'll work out. Yeah, because I, I remember one of the criticisms of the squad leader role was that someone said it would be used in a selfish manner to, like, ensure that their character survives when another character's doesn't. And like my answer to that, which is shitty, but it's true. It's just, but don't let it, and it won't. Like tell people they can't use it that way, and then they won't. I mean, <laughs> I I actually sympathize more with players who don't want to take notes because you know I get very irritated when I have to repeat things. But on the other hand, I understand why the players aren't taking notes because a very significant part of my real life job is taking notes on endless phone conversations where I don't get to talk a lot, and so I don't think that if someone put me in that position in a game, I would have any fun at all. I think I would probably tell them that, I mean, I'll, you know, where's, where's the W2? The what? Yeah. And like, it, will, it takes will, a will. The W2 is oh, the boy. form that you use in the United States for your employer to show um, employment status and taxes and wages and all that stuff. Oh, that's a T3 here. And like, it's the same concept. It's like with notes, like it takes a village. 
you'll you'll probably find someone who just your group will probably have someone who enjoys it and likes it um, and is cool with it. So well, that's great. Use them. But everyone else, just you know, even if like you know, if, like for example, for you, Max, don't take notes. But maybe, you know, maybe because you know you're not going to be tapping a lot of notes in because you don't want to work at your game. Just maybe like make a note to just read them after the game's over to skim them and make sure it's accurate. You know, and that's wicked helpful, and you're still contributing, but you're not. You know, again, no one wants to work at their fun game, so you, you get rid of that. What do you guys think about bribing the note taker with like bonus XP or something? I think that's great. I think that's really good because if if they're adding value, yeah, I think we did discuss. You know, different oh, did Sorry, I missed that. No, that's good. We discussed mechanical rewards, and now we're getting to why because at at its core, some of the stuff of this stuff is more necessary or important than it is actually fun. Sure, missed my opportunity. When you said show the WDO, I should have said, well, well, well you know, will 10 extra XP help? Because like, then you're paying them in XP or you're paying them in duty or you're paying them in sanity nice. or whatever. Uh, yeah, so de- de- definitely work it out. And again, talk to your players ahead of time. You may think that you may think that an extra home scene is great and they may be like, no, we want an extra, we want a free acquisition. You know, like, so talk to them yeah. what you want as a reward, you know, or let them kind of choose and work together. Could negotiate it. Before you do that, you want to assign a negotiator. You want to assign. There's a player role negotiator, but negotiates with the GM. No, but in order to have player roles, you first have to negotiate it. So you need to borrow a negotiator from another game. No, what you need is you need a human resources role, and the human resources role manages who has what role. If nobody takes any negotiation stats, you can pay uh, an NPC to negotiate for you. It's like red markets. So it's really important that you have. A not a musician. I don't want to say DJ, but like someone who manages the music for the table. It's good. You can lift up the spirits. Yeah, uh, they need to work closely with the GM to make sure they get the tone right. Back that up with the snackmeister, uh, the person who is responsible. Um, and this falls into the broader role of like bribing the GM uh, because uh, the quickest way to the GM's heart is through his stomach. So snacks help. But just go back to the, the snackmeister. Are you separating out drinks and? solids because you can split that into two roles for a big enough party yeah you can have a cook and a bartender is like space station 13 well everybody knows that gms may mostly thrive off of mountain dew and doritos so uh i feel like you could probably do snacks and drinks roll up into one so you don't have too many you know finally split Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night, have an idea, and like immediately write it down? And sometimes like it doesn't make any sense to you like the next day. I've had some really good ideas that I wish I knew what they were. Well, it was just like like four words for me. It was our home scene safe space. That's more than four words. Our home scene safe spaces. And then I woke up and I saw that note on my phone, and I knew it was for you guys. So that's the question for today: Our home scene safe spaces. What's a safe space in this context? Um, so I guess like when you play Delta Green, you expect it to be a dangerous place. You expect it to be, you know, like we don't, we don't role play the mundane missions where your agent just does like, you know, an NCIC look up on somebody and then passes it forward to somebody else or, you know, just like the more mundane intelligence gathering parts of the game. We don't really like frame whole game sessions around that we do it where the person had we have to go into this guy's house we have to see what he's hiding we have to see what's in his basement or whatever so like you can expect danger from that sort of stuff but after the game the rules say you know everyone gets a a home scene 
where you know you get to work on developing your character this that and the other and it's not a place where you typically expect danger to happen right yeah i think it's implicitly or not implicitly like you the home scenes are basically just a series of mechanics you can engage with you know make a role to gain sanity make a role to learn the clue so there really isn't any implicit like danger in that because you just not none of those mechanics have danger in them well the question is are home scenes a discrete mechanical interaction where the consequences of the broader scenario do not manifest except in terms of the numeric bonuses and penalties or are they themselves gameplay where anything can happen well a home scene has a it has a dramatic purpose and the mechanical purpose the dramatic purpose is that this is the lovely life you are throwing away and abandoning to go potentially get yourself killed for delta green and the mechanical purpose is this is all the mundane maintenance that is required to be a human in the world and so this is the one chance in which you can meaningfully make your character better in some way and so both of those rely on a concept that yeah this is a safe area for you to work you don't have to fear getting cursed or shot at or something like that I mean, i think as written there you know, this mechanical interaction although i really enjoy the idea of using them to do use like a little bit of extra role play flourishing but i feel like Personally, if I was going to do something that was, if I was going to do something with an eight with a other another player character when there was an element of danger, I think I'd as a handler be upfront about that. Like, if you want to go down this road and not like return to nature or whatever, this these things might happen because I, I wouldn't want them to have something happen and then be like, oh, that's not what I expected. Well, I sort of feel like I I sort of feel like you can do it once and approach them with something unpleasant, something unexpected once in a campaign during a home scene and still have it be really interesting and fun because you don't need to do something really crazy you just need to shake that faith and that yeah this is safe nothing can touch me here and just the fact of doing that is going to be shocking it could be really effective you framed it earlier as like uh like the maintenance for the the rest of the game where you know this is where your agent cools off yeah it's it's one of those things where 90% of game time is spent on an actual Delta Green mission, but then 90% of the character's actual life is just happening off screen and is summarized with a home scene. I See, I think that at a certain point in time, Delta Green becomes the agent's like whole life. That's like where you see where the bonds erode. And when you run out of bonds, all you have left are Delta Green bonds. So in a way, if you interrupt the home scene, it's almost like that whole takeover it makes it like more real for them like delta green is happening to them they don't know anything else yeah i think that's fair i think that certainly describes like as a character reaches the end of their shelf life and all their bonds are uh if they still have any non-delta green bonds they're certainly within like one or two points your sand is dropping below down below the 30s into the 20s and teens i think it's fine to have bad stuff happen in the home scenes if it is part of something that the agents did during the mission that was clearly signposted to them this is going to come back on you if they do something like shoot the case officer then it's open season during their home scene because that's when delta green would try to kill them is when they're defenseless if that were the case would you feel like it were fair for your home scene to be interrupted with an unsafe thing 
Um, I think on that character, he was probably already expecting it. That character is one that I actually had to retire because his paranoia was so obnoxious that it made him not fun to play and not fun to run the game for. Like, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a point where constantly expecting danger goes away from being a cool thematic consequence. Because I get it. Part of, part of, like, becoming a veteran of bad things happening to you is expecting more bad things to happen and constantly being on alert and just being constantly pickled in stress. But the problem with that from a gameplay perspective is that eventually it becomes exhausting for the rest of the group and for the person running the game. It becomes it becomes stressful out of character in a way that's not necessarily fun. So you have to moderate that somehow. It definitely relates to what we're talking about here because I think, Tom, you're suggesting that it should only happen like once in a blue moon. Yeah, and I feel like... I feel like what Melon just said about how it should logically follow from the player's own actions, that's such an obvious concept that you don't even think about it. You might even forget it just because it's not going to really have any impact if it's just something out of the blue or it might be effective if that's how a scenario starts, but it's going to feel way more powerful if it naturally follows on from an earlier operation. Like if the players might even feel like they have a little bit of culpability for this happening to them. There is something I thought of earlier. You guys mentioned a the the idea that the home scene is a discrete mechanical interaction. I mean, I, I brought up the idea that it's a discrete mechanical interaction versus a extension of game plan. I think most people here came down on the side of discrete me- mechanical interaction. But I was thinking about it. I was um, I've been trying to listen to more podcasts because the other podcast people are so nice to us, and I want to at least like try to listen to their shows. And I was listening to an episode of All Roads, I think it was All Roads Tavern, where they were playing Soft White Dam, and the entire episode was home scenes. It was just a really, and it, it was like a, a basically one one dude playing the game. It's kind of the thing that, Will, you talked about, how you don't want the home scene to be too over-elaborate, because then it's just one person playing the game while everyone else waits patiently. But they were doing it for the podcast, and it was actually kind of cool, because it was like this one guy having a really long, elaborate thing at a dinner party and then or at like a restaurant like a red lobster or whatever and then there was another dude um who they had like a he had like a really long interaction where he sat and painted some scary thing was uh, that that like the gm and one player doing it or okay so i'm gonna kind of spoil something here i'm running an actual play podcast i've been recording right now and we did like a session zero right now yeah right now right now on my other microphone um jake's playing Roll sand, Will. My God. Podcasts and shit posters, second edition is what Jake is recording right now. Now, Jake, you 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 were going somewhere with this before we yeah, torpedoed yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I'm still going, trying. Uh, we, we did session zero. We made characters, and we, like, formed the bonds of the group, and then I ended, like, the first session with everyone getting a home scene. And the way that I think that I made it a little bit more interesting was... We talked about what the home scene was going to be beforehand, what it might look like on a dice failure, what it might look like on a success. And then we identified other players in the group to play out as the agent's bonds. That's how Red Markets does it. Red yes, Markets yes. has that explicitly built into it. Because that game has a home scene system, and it's explicitly built in there. And they also use that to do um, world building and world maintenance, like see what happened, see what's happening in the, in the game world while you're on the mission and stuff. So... I like that because A, it doesn't just become like a GM and one player show and B, it like lets those be just as interesting to me, at least as some of the Delta Green action. So how does this change things? If I know sometimes, again, a longer form campaign, people do home scenes at the beginning of a session. 
uh, does that change any of the you know math or any of the equations here? Because I would feel I wouldn't I feel so worse. Minimal. I think like, I feel worse if I if the players had screwed up last session, they were going to have a negative consequence, and it came up and it like retired a character. If we end a session that way, they have time to bring in another agent or whatever. If we start the session that way, they don't. They're screwed. And that's that's I, a lot less. Fair. I I disagree. I think the consequences should come at the start of the session so that the dealing with that can be the session. If guys with guns burst into my window, I don't want to say, okay, my character's dead. I want to start the session with, I grab my revolver and I head under the bed and I do the scene from Miller's Crossing. I can see both sides of that because I agree that it's, if someone hits at you first, you want to start on that so players can have the satisfaction of hitting back. But also I can see how it might be a satisfying cliffhanger. Uh, I think what it kind of triggers for me is like, is there, if it's not a safe space, is there still a line with how far you can go? Like a group of spec op ninjas kicks down the doors and starts rolling firearms and 20% lethalities into the room. I mean, there is a mechanic which you can encounter in a home scene, like mechanically for like, you know, losing your job or getting in trouble. So, I mean, that's a, that may not be like a safe space interaction because you might, you know, get fired or go to, or get arrested or whatever, but it's not like your character is dead. So the difference between like getting ninja and, you know, your character gets locked up in the next session, they got to come rescue you or whatever. If, there's going to be a consequence that results in or could plausibly result in character death and you're starting the session with the home scene. I think Etiquette says it's incumbent on the handler to say to that player, hey, you should bring a second character sheet to next week's game. You know, because like, you're going to know that and he's going to find that out pretty soon. So I don't think it's like, I think that's just this is gaming etiquette to say you're probably going to die at the start of next session. And he should know if he's been following you know, if, if he signed well, that he might have an idea, he shouldn't be. I'll never assume. I mean, make make sure he knows. I think that yeah. you should just institute a policy of always having a backup character in your pocket with your but more generally, insurance policy. More generally, starting a session off with the consequences of a bad call from last week has, at least, I think, would have the effect of putting putting off balance, which could be could have interesting knock on effects in the broader investigation to come it's like when the dog poops on the floor and you drag them over to the pile of poop and you hold their nose up to it just to, to remind them of what they did and why it was bad right D does that work no it's not doesn't work you shouldn't do it so that's a terrible example it's, it's an example though way to be constructive look, look it's an example so it's you know or maybe it's clouds. illustrative of the fact that this would not have the intended effect i was thinking about this because we had a a poster on the night at the opera server who was asking about um, what sort of stuff was appropriate consequences for player actions. And I was, we, it sparked a debate among the, the, the users about what types of stuff like makes sense as a quote unquote punishment for in character behavior versus what is going to get a reaction from the players of like genuine anger that the handler is now punishing them for something that they felt they were railroaded into doing. Because we mentioned earlier that it's important to think about, um, am I adequately telegraphing that they're doing stuff that'll come back on them? But also, you know, is this the classic case of, like, do what you're told and then get slapped for it? Because there's some, there's some people who think that that's an integral part of Delta Green, that you are, your mission is to do bad stuff and then pay the price for it. Like, that's on a very fundamental level what the game is about. But I also know that just because you signed up to play Delta Green doesn't mean that you signed up to get lectured or get your character deleted because you tried to engage with the scenario. Yeah, there's a fine line you got to walk through for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you have to do something, you know, pretty egregious, you know, like, you know, shoot the chaos officer, like, you know, just, you know, you're ordered to, to perform a cover-up and you, your cover-up is you drop, you know, uh, a 2,000 pound cluster munition on the building and say it was, a, you know, a swamp gas. That has to be something so kind of, like, you're, if you're using the home team that way, you're almost kind of, like, giving the players kind of a slap on the wrist as players, like, hey, that was a little too far and you can get bit for that rather than, like, an in-universe like Delta Green Punishment, which is more mechanical and more like the review process and getting fired and stuff. I do think that I think I mean I think we've talked about this before, but I'm gonna reiterate it because part of it I need to reiterate this for myself because I'm one of the worst offenders about this. Uh, coming up with in character punishments for player behavior that you lo- that you dislike out of character is not super effective because first of all it doesn't usually solve the problem because oftentimes the players interpret it as a challenge. Like if I don't like the players solving everything with violence and I have an NPC um, come in with a, a machine gun and, and, and blow them away. Well, first of all, that guy just set an example of solving things with violence. And secondly, next time they're going to say shit, we need a bigger gun. But also if the expectations are not kind of on the same level, then that is also going to be perceived by the players as, Oh, we didn't follow his railroad and he blew us away. Uh, thanks a lot, asshole. Yeah, this is kind of, I mean, it's kind of unrelated. It's home scene related, but not really to our original concept, but let's see if that gets anywhere. Um, I've a couple times had a handler or had players like want to follow up on the case and I, I might have like one really good follow-up clue that like, you know, a reveal. And so I, you know, I give that and then the next player is like, oh, I want to stay in the case. And yeah, I got nothing. I know exactly so what you're talking about. What do you do? Oh, so um, ask, ask him if like before everybody rolls things, you know, maybe that's a way that way if there are two people that want to stay on the case and they do that home scene together. That's not a bad idea. And sure. and that way that way like you can let them be like, oh they, okay, you both roll and I'll just take whichever roll is better. Or, or say like So their chances are better. If you want to stay on the case or if you want to study the unnatural, will you let me know now? And that way, you know, the the very minimal amount of like part of the home scene that requires the handler to have preparations for. Um you can get it all done at the same time and not have to make up like a really weak second response. Probably thinks you could give the same, give different information based on the roles to each player and not let them know they got different information. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, that yeah, asking ahead of time is good. Um, and that also has a benefit of maybe helping. I know some people aren't really sure what they want to do. So if they hear what everybody else is doing, maybe it'll, Maybe they'll be like, oh, maybe I was thinking about, you know, going to nature, but maybe I should actually do something else. So that may actually help players, like, pick a pick a choice, too. I think we might have drifted a little ways yeah, away I didn't, from I didn't the want original to, I didn't conversation. want to derail the home scene thing. It just no, kind of, uh, it has come up in the past, and I wanted, <laughs> wanted to get a feel for it. Hey, problem solved, problem staying solved. Uh, have, you guys ever, uh, have you guys ever done something that we would not consider safe in a home scene? Or had it done to you? Didn't one of, one of you guys write a scenario that essentially starts in the home scenes tom i did yes did you? you wrote the one if only in my dreams that begins with the home scenes and christmas activities oh yeah i really like that uh yeah so it's i wrote good, that for... good subversion i don't care you're surprised <laughs> it's been okay. so long that yeah was several you wrote like the scenario in a dream scenario contest ago, yeah that was years and years ago no but you're right so that one was a 90s scenario it starts with everybody making their excuses from like a Christmas party or whatever holiday events are going on because it takes place on Christmas. 
And so then they have to go out and do a Delta Green mission. And you use the starting home scenes to like show what they're doing and why they're ditching their families on Christmas Eve. Uh, and I like that as scene setting that it's kind of just to emphasize a little bit, it is kind of miserable to go out on a Delta Green mission and leave your life behind. And I think in the alphabet contest, I forget the precise title, but R is for roller coaster does something similar that it emphasizes a little bit that you start with the home scenes and you emphasize how frustrating it is that your character is ditching their family's weekend plans to go just hang out in a, at an amusement park or carnival, excuse me, where they think this kid has just run away. It's not a legit missing person's case. That's that's awesome. Um, not what I was thinking of, though. I were you thinking of the time that you that you deleted us all in Observer Effect after we went home? Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, I wasn't tell. thinking that either. I I, uh, I actually don't recall it happening that way. Okay, but, I'll, I'll, um... I'll tell that story and then you can tell yours. Um, okay. Real quick, observer effect has an effect that affects the observer, and <laughs> that effect is that wow. you get infected with uh, hostile alien radiation that, after a certain amount of time, builds up in you and then sends you to the minus realm where you are deleted from existence. And the way that Will ran it is that we solved the case, we solved the mystery, and we thought, oh, that's pretty good. So we all went home, and then he narrated us getting deleted from existence one by one. And, and if I recall correctly, uh, I myself wrote a scenario that you yourself, Will, Will, ran called Autark Sunrise or Thunder That the Rain Makes When the Shadow Tops It Thill. And there's a specific thing in there where if you, break, if you break some rules, if you break a promise that you made to a certain NPC, you suffer some pretty serious consequences in the home scenes. Yes. That's a good example of, yeah, you should explain what it is too, but you, you, as a player, you... You're, you're, you know that breaking the promise is bad, or you think it might be bad, so like you're kind of taking your own ownership of the bad home scene? Well, well, sort of, because the promise is something that you know is not a good thing to do, and you might think you're pulling one over on the other guy by not doing it. But he knows. Somebody want to explain that for our uh, listeners? Is it, is, is it no it, mechanic? So I was inspired to do this by a scenario called Horde, which I think is by Victor Eichmann, and in Horde, you can get lost in a, a hoarder's paradise of... Um, increasingly strange items and then you get uh, meet a creepy creature who says I will help you get back to the real world if you take these items and help organize the collection by placing them back in the real world in places of potency there's no mechanic associated with that but what I said when I used that same concept in the scenario Autark Sunrise which is where that if you get lost in the Imperial United States building you can ask the caretaker for help and he says Oh yeah, sure. Just take these items back to the real world with you. And if you take the items back and place them, then you realize that what you're doing is wrong and will just cause more problems for people in the future and you lose some sanity from helplessness or whatever. If you refuse to place the items, then the world that you escaped to is revealed as an illusion and it's becomes abundantly clear that you never left the Imperial United States building and will never find your way home. Also, I'm just going to point out that Kevin, you are the one who, when I posted this, immediately copied and pasted it on the something awful Delta Green thread. There is, there is yet still another thing that is the thing that I was thinking of, um, which I thought was a scenario that one of you wrote, possibly even one that I played in, in which uh, it's, it's a regular old scenario. You go, you do the thing, you, you do the put put the nasty away in the green box or whatever. 
Uh, and then you go to home scenes, you go, oh, well, that was a really short scenario. Well, that was fun. And then you're doing the home scenes and then bad consequences happen. And then you go, oh, oh, this is the scenario. Yeah, that was me. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. So Thank this you. was, now you see me. And um, I think when I was recruiting for it on Night at the Opera, I said, you know, this is supposed to be a solo game, but remember, so like whoever it is, is going to be the focus of the scenario. The other people are just like ancillary to this, uh, this one agent that I'm really running the game for. So that's like an important part of that scenario. But the whole thing is like, the whole scenario is your home scene is not a safe space. Well, the best part about that one is I think I was listening to the playtest of it and you ran, which seemed like a really simple short scenario. And it, after an hour, it was like, okay, guys, let's all do our home scenes. And everyone seemed a little deflated. And then when that person's home scene came up, <laughs> everyone's ears perked up again, like, wait, what? What's happening? Yeah, it was beautiful. I don't yeah. think I've ever like, ran something so smoothly before. <laughs> you totally faked them out. That was a great subversion of expectations. But it's a scenario where, like, basically there's a mirror monster trying to copy, like, one agent, and it involves their bonds heavily. Um, so it's good to do that with someone who has, like, a good concept of, like, who their bonds are and what their bonds mean to them and how the thing can try to steal their bonds away from them and also their whole life. We have talked previously many times about horror tropes and literary devices well not literary but dramatic devices one of those is um one of those is the importance of having spaces or moments or scenes in which there is safety and the reason that's important is so that you can take it away um home scenes being telegraphed as safe uh serves that purposes serves that purpose because as the handler, you can then later take it away and it has, you know, dramatic impact because, oh, you thought you were safe. You thought it was over, but you're not even safe at home. So that's a classic horror trope. But part of that trope is you can't do it too often or it's it's no longer effective. It stops being scary. So um, I think I agree with Tom. I think you could pull this off once or maybe twice in a campaign. You could pull this off once in a while in a sort of ongoing open table kind of format. Uh, but if you do it too often, you run the risk of it losing its effect. Especially when your players are as hyper-vigilant as the average Delta Green player tends to be. Like, once is exceptional, but twice is a pattern. So if you do it too often, too closely together, then nobody trusts that a home scene is safe anymore. They're just going to expect all their loved ones have been replaced with lizard people and that the best course of action is to just sit in a corner with a gun trained on the door. Well, they're probably right. So if I were to provide a concise answer to the way this question was framed, Jake, I guess my answer would be, uh, are, are home scenes safe spaces? I guess my answer would be no, but I want you to think that they are. That's good. That's a good response. I think um, for me personally, when I'm running it, I, I like to sandwich my scenarios with home scenes. So I don't feel as bad about not making them out to be safe. Yeah, I think I would answer the question of uh, yes until you make them unsafe. I think that this is a horror game and that it's not necessarily a safe space, but I, I guess it's more along the lines of what Will said, just to phrase it in a different way. I want you to think it's a safe space. Well, and what you know, what Tom said about if you, you know, two is a pattern. If you if you do this too many times, or you know, pull shenanigans during home scenes, everyone's going to just take the easy option and just do something like, oh, I'm just going to uh, you know uh, train to scale. I don't want to. Well, training firearms. 
Yeah. You yeah, train like, firearms like the last five home so. scenes. <laughs> well, at well, least I have a gun in my home scene. Well, even then, like, who are you going to the range with? Are you just going on your own? Somebody is going to be frustrated that you're not spending time with them. Like, so many of the home scene options as a consequence are you lose a point from a bond. So that stuff still doesn't happen in a vacuum. That's time you're not around your loved ones when bad things might happen to them. Yeah, that's right. The only home that's scene right, option yeah. where you don't lose something is uh, fulfill responsibilities. Uh, fulfill obligations. Yeah, that yeah. In which the, the you don't you don't lose a point off a bond because you're being a regular human being. You have the possibility of, of increasing a bond or even gaining sanity, and you run failure. Nothing happens, and the only the only the only potential negative is if you fumble it, then you lose sanity and lose bond. So I had the problem with that when I had a uh, an agent who only had one bond, and it was a Delta Green bond, and that was the only choice that was available to me. <laughs> that's good i had the edge case come up i don't remember if it was a character in my game or if it's a character in somebody else's game that they told me about where a character didn't have any bonds and the hand yeah no it must have been it must have been somebody else's running it and they asked me about it later um so this, this character didn't have any bonds and they want to go the next that, character from our old group maybe. he made a character who hard experienced away his only bond it's possible anyway this character had no bonds and they want to do like improve a skill or something that reduces a bond and then so the handler goes to me to the handler poses the question well are, are they allowed to do that because they can't pay the cause they can't reduce a bond and my answer was yeah of course they can they they just they ignore the lose a bond thing because they have no more bonds left to burn and that is its own consequence that that not having any human connection is its own negative penalty to what you're doing take the penalty straight off his sanity at that point I don't think that's necessary. I don't think uh, I, I think a character who has no bonds is already crippled enough that I don't I don't need to kick them anymore now that they're down. I disagree. This is a game about getting kicked until you can't get up a anymore. A character who has no bonds left. I think that character is already pretty fucked up. Yeah, I'm gonna side with Will on this one. I used to feel like that, but I think really you've got no cushioning for any kind of sand damage you're gonna take. Like you can't try to sneak your way out of a temp insanity you can't try to repress any anything that's gonna take over your brain this this is a character who has embraced the mission to the exclusion of all else and there are examples of other characters of npcs in in the canon that have done this those examples include the likes of forrest james doesn't forrest james have one bond i don't think he does Does i could be wrong does does Oaks bond go? Is it because Oaks has a bond with him? Does he have a bond with her? Or does he know a bond? No bonds. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I know Gavin Ross doesn't have any bonds. He might have one Delta Green bond. It might be Oaks. He might. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Uh, something I've noticed is that shotgun scenarios are seem or they seem to make use of this device a lot of the time. And so I'm going to toss it over to our buddy Melonbread because he also wrote a shotgun scenario that involves consequences that crop up after the mission. Okay, uh, since you asked me about the mine, I'll tell you about Baby on Board. Baby on Board is a scenario I wrote a couple years ago for a shotgun contest. It's about uh, an investigation to determine whether a lady who is a Delta Green agent has problems with her uh, unborn child of an unnatural nature, and you can investigate that. And the trick is that the wizard is trying to fake you out into... Um, killing her to terminate the pregnancy, at which time that counts as a sacrifice to the baby that allows him to resurrect himself as a hunting horror. 
And if that does happen, then the hunting horror tries to hunting horror you during your hunting home scene by waiting until you turn out all the lights and then trying to sneak into your room and smother you. Because hunting horrors are dangerous creatures in the dark, but cannot go where it's light because they will take damage until they die. And there's actually another scenario that I was thinking of throughout this episode that's also a shotgun scenario that I forget the name of about uh, a home scene where you are with a person that you care about and they tell you, I have been possessed by a secret alien. I will kill myself unless you do exactly what I say to help me retrieve these artifacts. And I remember know, that Deep Space Nine episode. You say to them, what the fuck, Keiko, this makes no sense. I'm going to get the chronotons and I'm going to zap it out of you. And then um, a bunch of other stuff happens. The thing I remember very specifically about this scenario is that it includes almost no advice on what to do if the players don't cooperate. Because if I'm, I, I like, I understand the idea is to make a character who will go on the adventure. But if your wife comes up to you and says, I am for sure possessed by an ancient alien and must do this mission, I'm going to say, honey, you're having a stroke and we need to get you to the hospital. And like the problem with the alien is that you can threaten to kill yourself, but that won't make someone believe that you're not delusional. In fact, that'll make them believe that you're more delusional because even though Delta green agents have Delta green stuff going on in their lives, that doesn't necessarily mean that they hundred percent believe in time travel. And even if the other person knows the Delta green, that could just mean that they've been listening to the phone calls. Anyway, that's one that uses a home scene to great effect, even though I think it was written before home scenes were invented. Yeah, that seems to be the case. A lot of them still seem to, they seem to hit on this theme, even for old 90s called Cthulhu Delta Green. So it's obviously something that's been rattling around in people's heads for a while, like the stuff that comes home with you between the missions. And to quickly insert, I think the name of the scenario you've described is called Vacation in Shades of Gray and Green. Tom coming at us with the uh, encyclopedic Delta Green shotgun scenario lore. Well, I, I specifically looked this one up because I also had dimly remembered it and I wanted to make sure it got name dropped. This is good. I'm thinking of it is an older um, an older post by Dennis Detwiller. It was on like his Squarespace or something like that. It was talking about um, how to make horror feel real. And it was like have the, you know, bad things happen to you while you're shopping in Target or something like that. And I think that was before the new Delta Green had the bond system in it. And maybe it was like scenarios like that or the idea that horror needs to be personal, uh, like to feel more real, that led to the creation of the bond system. I don't know that. Maybe that's something we could ask someone about whenever we interview them uh, for the show. I'm sure it was. I'm sure they already had ideas for like, extra mechanics or just extra things they wanted to represent in the game. Just, like, we all like home scenes, right? We all can come to an agreement. Oh, yeah. It's definitely, like, one of the things that sets Delta Green apart from um, its predecessors and its uh, colleagues. I mean, it does take a lot of energy to be, like, at the end of the session and to have five players needing to do bespoke uh, role-played mechanically verified sequences especially when they don't know what their options are and rather than looking at the table they demand that i tell them that's a that's a player problem for sure if it's a player problem that happens every time then it's a mechanics problem well, that's why you should do them with the start i was just thinking that actually i might start doing them at the start that, for that, that reason. yeah that's not a bad idea because 
I'm just so usually so drained of energy by the end of a session that I can't have the wherewithal to to like do an exhaustive role played sequence of like your relationship with your wife or whatever. Yeah, my new policy is sandwiching because then I don't have to feel bad about hitting them with like D100 sand losses and stuff like that. Yeah. So I wonder if if you do it before, I wonder if you can use that to seed something for your scenario. Like if you want oh, to absolutely the, you can give the players kind of a, a jump start or a clue or something just get things moving you could that's a great idea you have to do it kind of in the moment like you know because a little you don't know what they're going to pick but you could set that up you can have it be something as as simple as uh like like a news story that you have prepared that references the scenario to come and the first person who says well I, you know I, I sit down at the the, the the table in the kitchen and have breakfast with my wife and read the newspaper and the first person who says that gets this little oh here's the headline today there's this there's that there's this there's that you just slip it in there have you played or run a scenario called Metamorphosis? Um, anybody? I have not. Nope. So it's the scenario. It's the scenario that I like to stick on the end of Last Things Last. And I know we've talked about that, but there's this there's this bit of lore. The reason that you end up meeting this other Delta Green team um, that has been involved in a op gone wrong, and there's all this interesting stuff about what happened on that operation, but most players never get to see it. So I'm wondering if you ran that, you could almost give the players this that are in the scenario a bit of news about this big fire and this big you know investigation happening for this arson or whatever as just a bit of fluff and then when they realize who they're talking to later that'd be a really fun moment i think the backstory and metamorphosis is more interesting than the scenario itself i think that that scenario should have been about the the fucked up shelter with the cult in it and you could still have all the all the same content it's just instead of relying on the delta green meta plot with like program versus cowboys or whatever you could, or, or, you know, cells versus cells. You could just say the dude is willing to protect her, the, the, this, this lady who was turning into a spider with his life because he's, he's, he's a good dude and he's a little mixed up. I think that would be a way to instantly improve that scenario, in my opinion, because then you can have like a cool investigation of the, the weird um, cult shelter and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've never ran that without attacking it on last things last, so, uh, which I'd like doing. I don't, I don't know how it would work, uh, like as a standalone thing, so. I can't speak to it. That's all I've got. Well, Loose rounds or alibis. I've got. Oh, go ahead. I've got, I've got one last tiny one. I don't know if it's even worth saying. Uh, I would just say that in addition to actual seeding uh, plot plot elements and foreshadowing and headlines and things, you could also just do that through little motifs or thematic ways. Like you're playing the last equation tonight, so in your home scene at the start your kid needs help with their math homework. Uh, if you're doing extremophilia, something about and washing the dishes or washing your hands, something about cleanliness and infection, just something well, that kind of raises. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like a literal plot element, but just something that puts that idea in their head. Like a theme thing, like you're setting it up for like a television episode or a movie or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I really love that. My original reason for mentioning it was I know Max, you mentioned some of the players of our time kind of getting going. This might be a way to kind of jumpstart it, but using it as a theme, like just using it to kind of set the tone is also a really clever way to do it. And that's a little easier to kind of put in than like an actual bespoke clue for the scenario. So Just about every, because I said, I said earlier, I've been listening to all these actual plays and just about every single one of them begins with like a very exhaustive interaction between like the protagonist and his wife or the protagonist and her husband. And uh, one of the things I've noticed is that in the solo shows, 
those are a lot more prominent because they don't have a whole squad of players waiting for one person to stop playing the game so that they can play. Because, um, frankly, if I wanted to wait while everyone else took their turn, I'd play a fucking board game. But in a solo show, it's great because you've got one character and you can really dig into that. Well, does anyone else have anything? I think that's a fair point. I also think kind of the other side of it is that if you have so many people, you can't really... I don't know, make compelling theme because you can't really account for that many different variables, that many people bouncing off in their own directions. It's just like, I guess, an image or something like that. You can just bring up and hope people connect to it. Well, so one thing for me is that because my my player characters are all just a revolving door of either strangers or people I sort of recognize, home I can't do home scenes where I like exhaustively role play a specific character who's important to them because I'm usually seeing that character for the first time when it hits my table. Yeah, I was thinking that when we were talking about All Roads Taverns and how they had the, the whole episode of home scenes, I was just thinking, that's one extreme, but the way it's done at Night at the Opera is the other extreme, where it's one minute, it's your mechanical interaction to see if you improve your character. I think it's kind of a blend of role-playing and mechanical interaction in most tables. Just another way that, like, the way we normally play is not typical of the way most people play it. Yeah, it's true. I'm finding that out as I run this sort of campaign that I get to just slow down and enjoy things a little bit more. Well, here's the thing, though. For me, it's not like slowing down and enjoying things. For me, the things that a lot of the people enjoy are like grinding teeth to me. Like, I don't actually like getting down into the weeds about the player's relationship with his father. I think that's boring. I think it makes a nice contrast sometimes, but if it could please be over fast so we can get back to the to the fun stuff. It's funny because I remember you uh, saying, I'm going to do that thing where people might take you out of context again. But um, when you talked about one of the reasons why you liked Delta Green was because it's one of the only RPGs out there where like a big part of it is that you get to go home and beat your wife afterwards. That's not why I like the game. I like the game. No, you know what? Yeah, it is. I, I, I like I like that it's the one game that has the fucking balls to say, uh, this is what the cycle of abuse looks like. It's not fucking pretty. It's grotesque. But I think one thing that I've noticed is that the projection mechanics are not actually built into the home scene in the same way that um, people kind of treat them as. Like, because sometimes sometimes people will, when you when you project in the game, people will say, "How does this degrade your relationship with X Y Z?" But I think I've yet to see someone actually go and play that out during the home scene, like. Like saying, yeah, you said that you were dealing with this thing because you were going to hit your kid later. So put your money where your mouth is, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. And I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know that I would do it. Well, it's when you need to make sure everyone like is okay with that, you know, with like some safety shit beforehand, right? But I think that I think that I, I have trouble getting my players to stop killing kids. So I think if anything, <sighs> these people would be more than willing to do that. And now that I've finished throwing blood libel at the people who uh, give me so much gratification by sitting through my scenarios, I will say this. Um, I think that that same cycle of abuse is powerful because I think that it is the way that I would explain what Delta Green is really about to someone who was not familiar with the themes of the game. Because this is a game where, remember in, in Blackadder when he says we all kick downward? You are... Um, exposed to forces that are more powerful than you that will hurt you for no reason so that you go home and you either go home and hurt the people you care about for no reason or you hurt people who are powerless to stop 
to stop you. Like you go out and you find a jaywalker and you just fucking break his jaw or you find, you know, some crack on a guy and you just kick him right in the balls. And then you, you know, you tell, tell people that he assaulted an officer. You just really just railroad the shit out of this dude who didn't do nothing wrong because you have something vile inside you that was put there by someone more powerful than yourself. And then, you know, that when you go, when you kick down that door and you shoot those cultists, the one guy who survives is going to do the same thing to you. He's going to go home and he's going to get the most powerful magical tome he can find. And he's going to become a legendary badass. And he's going to go down and do the exact same thing. And it's going to keep fucking happening. It's like the bit in the Punisher where he says, um, and this is what I like because it's like a, a rare bit of self-reflexivity in a series that's mostly about just kind of glorifying violence. The bit where he says about like the abused children, I had a feeling I'd be seeing them in like 10 years on the wrong end of my gun. That's a thing in the Punisher too. The one where he, uh, he kills the parents that are like making child porn. That is the exact one that I'm referencing. Yeah. That he understands that he's not actually stopping the thing that is, that is killing him. Right. He's just perpetuating it in a different way. Anyway, that is what I think is cool about Delta green. I just really do not like the exhaustive back and forth about like, did you take the trash out? Well, no, because I was fighting a wizard. It's a good reason, though. But I understand that you you need that contrast because this was something that um, Larry David of Kirby Enthusiasm and uh, his co-star, the lady who played um, Cheryl, his his wife or ex-wife, I'm not sure if they're back together in the show, they violently disagreed about this. Where uh, Larry said, "We don't need to show them being happily married because the audience knows that that's happening off screen. We only need to show them fighting because that's what's interesting and that's what's funny." And then Cheryl says, no, we need Cheryl, or I, I'm, I'm apologize. I don't know the name of the, of the actress says, no, we should show them at least at some point having a nice time together so that the audience knows they don't just hate each other. And that I think is the two different attitudes about home scenes that I'm talking about here. I'm more on Larry's side. Yeah. See, I'm more on the wife's side. I feel like dramatically, if you don't see it happen, it's not happening. Or if you don't see the consequences of it happening, then it's not happening. It's just like the horror thing. It's about contrast. I guess this comes back to my all marshmallows approach where I just want the, um, you know, uh, like a stereo on my soul is receptive only to that, which is grand. Melon Bredos. Oops, all content. Yep. Oops, all gameplay. Well, gameplay is a strong word. <laughs> anyway, then, now that I've unleashed that just torrent of pure egotism, uh, anyone else have any closing remarks? Reckon it's, it's, reckon it's time to pack it up and go home, boys. Yeah, it's time to do our home scenes. 